Before we start this episode, I would like to tell you about the Give Program. The Give Program is a nonprofit company raising money for local personal trainers and gyms who have lost their income due to COVID-19. The Give Program sells boxes of meat that are delivered right to your doorstep to save you the time and hassle of going to the grocery store. They have various options such as the original box, land and sea box, poultry box, and my personal favorite, the grill box. If you're in the Long Island or greater New York area, check out thegiveprogram.org to purchase your box of delicious, high-quality protein now. Use code EATRIGHT15 to save 15%. Make sure to use all caps. That's E-A-T-R-I-T-E-15. Welcome to the Eat Right Nutrition Podcast, where we partner with experts in the health, wellness, and nutrition field to deliver you an excellent variety of content based on real science, real facts, and real food. I'm your host, Daron. And I'm Nicole. And today, we're going to talk about 10 nutrition myths that need to die. You know, Nicole. Yes, Daron. Somebody gave me shit about my intro. Who did? For the podcast. Really? Yeah, somebody that Wait, I... Wait, oh, our work. intro? Yeah, yeah, yeah. our yeah. podcast? Yeah, 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 that too. <laughs> and I was well, no, like... Wait, what, what did they say? That it was like too polished. Like, it's not you, Daron. And I'm like... Okay, wait a minute. So we're getting in trouble for being too professional and too polished? Yeah, fuck that. Give me a break. I'm good. I love this intro. It ain't going nowhere. No, no. I love it too. And guess what? No. So this colleague of mine, if you're out there listening <laughs> to this off. podcast no. episode, <laughs> Just kidding. It's we ain't changing. February. We no. ain't changing shit. <laughs> that's definitely the unpolished version of you and I right there. So you get the intro that's polished and then and then you're sucking and, and then you're suckered into the shit that we talk. Exactly. A little bit of everything during the conversation. So. All right. So how do we want to kick this off? Do we want to list them or do we want to just go? No, let's keep them waiting. One let's at a keep time. them waiting. You can't know what they are. Although I was thinking listen. about putting them in the show notes. I don't know. We'll figure that out later. All right. So you can ten... put them in the Instagram every day during the week, each different myth, and they can look there. Oh, my God. That's such a great idea for content. This is what I'm here for. The ideas, people. You're brilliant. I knew I, know. I, I knew you were here for a reason. <laughs> All right. So let's get into it. OK. 10 nutrition myths that need to die. Yes. These are just that this. These are what our top 10 picks. I these guess are maybe. 10, these are just 10 that 10 we just random myths that we just decided. But there are things that I think I, I hear often. Yeah. OK. And number one, I've been hearing often. You have taken a lot of new clients on to my roster and that mm -hmm. it always comes up. Yeah, yeah. You can't eat past a certain time. Yeah, I know. Oh, Whether boy. it's six o'clock, eight o'clock. Well, you whatever can't. Time, you should have. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Because somehow, miraculously, your body is going to <laughs> just Stop. store every yep, your metabolism just shuts down for Everything the it's like stops. a store. It's like a store. It closes yeah. for the night. It opens up in the morning and starts burning calories. Yeah, I know. Now, let me break this down for you people. You are burning a significant amount of calories when you sleep. And there is an equation that you can calculate an estimation of how many calories you burn when you sleep. Are you ready for it? I'm um, listen, go. It's M E T 
which is the metabolic equivalent of the task that you're doing. In our case, it's sleeping. I did an Instagram post on this a while back. Mm-hmm. We'll break it down. So the formula goes like this 0.95 times your body weight in kilograms, which if you don't know how to do that, you divide your body weight by 2.2 and that gives you your body weight in kilograms. Mm-hmm. So it's 0.95, which is the number that we use for the task being sleep. If you're doing something else, exercising, walking, whatever it is, that number changes. That's the variable that changes. But it's going to be 0.95 for sleep times your body weight in kilograms times 3.5 divided by 200. And that is going to give you how many calories you burn per minute. And then you break that down into you multiply that out and you figure, okay, how many calories am I burning per hour? How many minutes are in an hour? And then you multiply that by eight because you're sleeping eight hours. Or if you're sleeping six hours, you just multiply that out and finish that out. I did this for myself a while back and I burn approximately 758 calories per night if I'm sleeping eight hours, which is much larger than any meal that I would be consuming before I go to bed. Mm -hmm. I'd probably eat maybe a 500 calorie meal. We have to account for the fact that when you're sleeping, particularly in your REM sleep, when you're dreaming, that's when you're predominantly burning calories. Your brain still uses glucose to dream Mm -hmm. for all of your bodily functions, right? You also have to factor in. Repair. Yeah, I was just going to say repair, right? Repair, right? If you worked out that day, your body works to repair your muscles. Mm Mm-hmm throughout the night. Yeah. You're burning a significant amount of calories while you're sleeping. To put that even more in perspective, you are the only thing that matters is that you're in a calorie deficit. Correct. Well, maybe not the only thing. Not the the only thing. One of the things. If we're talking fat loss, one of the most important things is that you're in a calorie deficit. It doesn't matter what time you eat within that 24 hour period. Right. As long as you're not exceeding the number of calories that your body needs for that day. Yeah. Or your deficit, right? If you're eating at maintenance, you're not going to lose body fat. If you're eating in a surplus, you're not going to lose body fat. So Mm -hmm. that's where that's important. But we have to understand that this thought that the body just shuts down or severely slows down while you're sleeping, it's all wrong. (laughs) I do think it's funny because, I mean, I learned about sleep very early on in terms of exercise and repair and like 1030 p.m. to 2 a.m. is your physical repair and 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. is your psychological or like mental repair. So it's kind of silly to think that if you stop eating at 5 p.m., then those types of things and when you sleep don't happen or will become easier, better or more efficient. I don't know. And the only thing that's going to do is make you hungry and more likely to binge or more likely to just not feel energized. You know what I mean? Like we're talking energy on the other side of things, right? How much you burn versus your intake. So when we talk about calorie deficits and restrictions like that, the other, the flip side to that is you, you can't get through a workout. I mean, I've been saying this so much that you, you cannot create an efficient workout if you, and burn calories within that workout. If your body hasn't repaired from your previous workout, or even just from a busy day at work or a stressful right. day, you know, and that, that's where we get into overtraining or under eating, which mm-hmm. overtraining can be under eating for the amount of training that you're doing. So right. you want to make sure that your body's well fed. Also, I find that the people who generally do stop eating at a certain time, they're in those bigger caloric deficits that mm-hmm. will create that metabolic adaptation that is unfavorable to their goals. Yeah, 
I just, I mean, we've talked about this before on other podcasts, and this is how I explain it to clients in terms of just what their shifts are like in terms of work and rest period. You know, I use the example all the time that I'm a morning shift worker. I work very early. And then we have other trainers at the gym that you technically a second shift for us, like an 11 to seven or 8 PM. And they work out later and at night, how can you just be like, well, we, nobody should eat after 8 PM. You got you know, it. It just doesn't make sense. You eat whenever is good for you. Right. We talk right. about the individual body. Now, Every, everybody's body functions the same when it comes to sleep. Yep. Yep. I, and and if you're if your digestion maybe needs some rest while you're sleeping, then you know that's another story. Maybe if you have you know acid reflux, GERD, then the right. food choices are going to matter more so right. than that you're choosing. You know, don't eat tomato sauce before you go to bed, or drink some coffee before <laughs> you go to bed because that's going right. to be acidic and that might come up while you're sleeping. But outside of that, just talking normal healthy function in terms of fat loss, it's right. not going to affect your fat loss one way or the other, unless you're eating over your calories in that last meal. Yes. And under exercising and doing nothing. All right. We're ready for number two. Yeah, I guess let's do it. Number two, the ketogenic diet is superior for fat loss. Listen, you could have put any diet in there. The keto, the paleo, the insert, whatever name you the want. Carnivore, diet. Yeah, the carnivore diet, okay, whatever it is, is not superior. You can finish that sentence because it has nothing to do with the actual diet. It has to do with the individual and how their body responds to the diet. So why is the ketogenic diet not superior? I'll let you take that. OK, a lot of the proposed benefits. OK, let me let me talk about a benefit of the keto diet before yeah, I go give the into, positive. Right. So. <laughs> The advantage to the keto diet is mainly in creating metabolic flexibility, which is basically the capacity for your body to adapt fuel oxidation to fuel availability, mm -hmm. right? So we're talking about if things aren't available, if carbs aren't available, your body can quickly adapt to using ketones for energy. It's mm -hmm. good to be flexible and use multiple sources of energy. And it's good to be metabolically flexible. Our ancestors needed to survive, so they needed to be metabolically flexible. The inability to modify fuel oxidation in response to changes in nutrient availability has been implicated in the accumulation of intramyocellular lipid and insulin resistance. Mm -hmm. So there is a benefit to being metabolically flexible. Now, I'm not saying keto is the only way to get there. It's you can absolutely fast, not the only you can fast your way to get there. Right. You can be in a calorie deficit to adapt. Right. So mm -hmm. this is where we get into the benefits of the ketogenic diet. Some of the proposed benefits, and I'll give you an example of this, this is something I talk about all the time is the ketogenic diet helps your body to create more mitochondria and also alters mitochondrial DNA to be more efficient. Mm -hmm. Now, when you look at other studies, there are studies that will show that exercise increases the number of mitochondria, resistance training or cardio. Mm -hmm. Fasting creates more mitochondria, right? And calorie deficits create more mitochondria. And the reason why all of these things create more mitochondria is because you're putting more of a demand on your body to be able to process fuel. So- right. In any one of those changes, you're going to be able to replicate that. Metabolic ward studies show no significant fat loss favoring a ketogenic diet over a diet containing carbs. There are actually probably more studies that will show favoring a low fat diet. Mm -hmm. But I will put the disclaimer on that, that the difference is negligible. 
it's yeah, not so enough small. for me to say, right? So, and then this is where we get into, okay, well, since the difference is negligible, we don't just put everybody on a low fat diet. We say, right. well, what can you adhere to? Right. And how does your body respond to it? Yeah. You know, are you hungry all the time? Listen, when I did the ketogenic diet, I was hungry a lot. Now I'm not saying I'm not being a harsh critic or I'm trying not to be a harsh critic of the ketogenic diet. I like it. I think it's a good strategy for people who can do it and and adhere to that program. I just don't, you know, I'm just going to say it's not superior. Right. It goes back to everything that we talk about. We talk about it all the time. It's really what you can do on a regular basis and create a lifestyle around. If you can, if you can live the lifestyle in a ketogenic diet format, then more power to you. I'm not against it either. I mean, I think everybody at this point knows that we're pretty open to all options for clients, but it really depends on the client. I think my biggest issue with any type of quote unquote diet is that I just posted about this on Instagram the other day, like the judgment around one being the best and the only way to accomplish a goal, a fat loss goal or whatever their health goal is just so ridiculous to me because so many people, everybody's so different. How can you say everybody should do one thing? I can't, I can't with that. So that's my only issue. Well, when it comes to diets, you have two kind of different types of people on social media, I feel. Yeah. The first person that you have is the person that did it and was super successful doing it and then became a coach and started advocating for it. Yes. This is the, the, the person that gets results from it, that all of a sudden everybody should be doing it because they got results from and it. Now so you're therefore a coach, superior. And now you're yeah. a coach, even though you've never read any science on any other topic. <laughs> now no, then, they're just literally, they got results. It's, um, you know, um, I did it so you can do it too. And then there are also the individuals who are, we'll call them like keto zealots or intermittent fasting zealots, right? All mm. of those individuals who just kind of cherry pick the research and see, look, it does this, it does that. And then you look at other research on other diet strategies and you mm-hmm. realize that the same environment can be created in many different ways. So it's not yeah. the only thing that you can do to get where you're going. Right. And they just push it as a, an all or nothing approach. Number three, carbs make you fat. Well, clearly we now, we know I do not believe that. <laughs> we go we go we go through this with clients oftentimes is there a the carb phobia is it's a real thing. It's not just a thing. It's it's there's some serious issues behind this fear, especially in females. It, it's yeah, I this is something that now listen, carbs make you fat. Fat makes you fat, right? And I think too much carbs make you fat. Fat, fat makes too you much fat. fat makes you fat, fat makes you fat is the next one we'll cover. But yeah, these things throughout the history of like food manufacturing, marketing, mm-hmm. these things have been at battle constantly, right? Yeah. At first, it was everything's got to be low fat. You've got to have low fat yep. uh, salad dressings. You've got to have low fat yogurt. Cottage got, everything cottage yeah. cheese. Everything has to be low fat. And then it shifted to, oh, well, we took out fat from foods and now we put sugar in them and sugar's and to, bad. Tex- to texturize <laughs> and flavor them. We put more carbs in them. And that's what's making us fat, because, look, we took out fat and now we are getting even fatter than it must yeah. be because of the sugar. Right. Yeah. So it's not the carbs. It's not the fat. Let's dive into the carbs. The notion is based on the carbohydrate insulin model of obesity. Mm-hmm which theorizes that obesity is caused by carbs and the insulin response they evoke because they'll say insulin is a storage hormone and it causes you to store more fat. This isn't well supported by 
the evidence. And there have been many books written on this that have been kind of debunked over the last, I want to say, five to 10 years. Yeah. So let me reference a little research here. In 2017, a meta-analysis of 32 controlled feeding studies was published. Some of these studies were metabolic ward studies where they put people in a metabolic ward for a certain amount of time and they track and monitor everything that they eat. And some of the studies were free living studies where they were out and about throughout their day. But in each case, meals were supplied by the researchers who wanted to ensure that each diet provided specific amounts of calories and nutrients. Within each study, the diets were equal in calories and protein, but not in fat and carbs. What were the results? Low fat diets, like we said before, resulted in greater fat loss by an average of 16 grams per day and greater energy expenditure by an average of 26 calories per day. This would give low fat diets a fat loss advantage, although it's too small. You're talking about 16 grams per day, which is physiologically meaningless. It's insignificant. 16 grams of your body weight. These studies are consistent with those of long-term free living randomized control trials designed to test a diet's real world effectiveness meaning that the participants were given instructions but left to prepare their own meals. Meta-analyses show that keto, low-carb, and higher-carb diets led to similar weight loss. Were any of these people exercising? You know, that that I don't know from the data. I'd have to look back into that. Because that's a huge piece that's really missing from something. But at the end of the day, yeah. if you're exercising or not, we're showing pretty much the same weight weight loss all across the board. Absolutely. I'm when just saying are, if you're when you're matched for calories. When you, yeah, absolutely. Just from strictly that standpoint. Yeah. I'm just saying if you're exercising, because my whole issue with my female clients is you need more if you're exercising, not less to fuel. You your need body. carbohydrates to yeah. support, especially like your clients, Nicole, that are doing yeah. deadlifts and squats and things that are taxing on your central nervous system, mm-hmm. right? You're using your brain on a day-to-day basis. And I yeah. always say that you the average brain needs about 120 to 130 grams of carbs just for normal function. So right. most people that will come in and they're only eating 50 Under or 100 grams of carbs, mm-hmm. right? Now there is an exception to that, right? If we go into keto, your body can use ketones for to fuel your brain, but you have to be in that state of ketosis. Uh, But outside of that, just talking, you know, balanced nutrition Mm -hmm. plan, you're going to need some carbohydrates. Now with carbohydrates, what I will say is you need to focus on reducing refined carbohydrates and replacing them with nutrient dense foods and being a calorie deficit. We don't get fat from carbs. We get fat from overindulging. So if we're overindulging in foods that are typically the foods that we're eating, that Mm -hmm. we're overindulging in. They're not just carbs, right? They're sugar and fat. Yep. And those are the foods that we crave. Those are the combinations that come to exact. And those are the high, those are the high calorie foods. Yeah. And I think also with carbohydrates, I will say that um, they're not utilized properly. Not only are they making the right choice of carbohydrates, but then they're not eating them at appropriate time, sandwiching like pre and post workout, things of that nature. All right. And then the next one we get into is fat makes you fat. Now, I'm just going to say outright, eating fat does not make you fat. Our bodies use fat for things other than storage. We mm-hmm. need healthy omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids, which are essential fatty acids because our body can't produce them. Uh, we also need some monounsaturated and saturated fatty acids. Our bodies need fat to absorb fat-soluble vitamins like A, D, K, and E. We also use fats as part of our cell membranes, the structure of our cells. We have a phospholipid bilayer, right? Phospholipid. Mm -hmm. 
lipid mean meaning fat. fat and hormones our bodies create hormones using some of these fatty acids yeah so again being in a calorie deficit is what's most important and studies comparing different macronutrient distributions matched for calories show no significant difference when protein is accounted for split the difference between carbs and fat based on your preference and yeah. your ability to adhere to the program right, right. so Nicole, you want to talk about that a little bit? What? What? Splitting the difference after your protein. Oh, between carbs and fats. I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't hear what you said. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, I wanted to go back. I, my brain is jumping all over the place, but splitting the difference between the two. One is whether or not you can adhere to it. Two is, you know, you talked about metabolic, we're brought up metabolic flexibility. And I think that's a big piece to whether you're utilizing fats for your fuel or carbs for your fuel. I mean, you, we talk about the 40, 30, 30 all the time, right. And keeping them balanced and that as a baseline, and then from there deciding whether the client is going to increase fat, increase carbs, decrease fat, decrease carbs. Kind of like I use, I use the analogy like a seesaw fats and carbohydrates. So if you're someone that feels better and has more energy with carbohydrates versus fat, then that's what we're going to do within your coaching session is to balance those out. But metabolic flexibility is all about finding the perfect sweet spot between the two and then living in that lifestyle. So your body has the flexibility to utilize both sources of well, energy. Your body, the metabolic flexibility piece is about the ability to, when one, when you don't have one available, you use the other. your body will be able to use the other. If I take all my carbohydrates away and I'm only using fat for fuel, right? Then you're when saying I, it might be more difficult to use carbohydrates for fuel. Yes. Potentially. Exactly. Potentially. So if you're if you have a balance between the two, then your body will be flexible to utilize both. Yeah. And for our audience out there, if you don't understand when Nicole's speaking when she says carbohydrates, she means, <laughs> she means carbohydrates. But that Boston accent sometimes gets to you. <laughs> I can't even say you got to get in your you got to get in your cobs and then you cobs. <laughs> All right. Moving Thanks. along. Thanks for pointing that out repetitively. And I have to do I have to do it every time you say carbs. I'm just that's like, all right. You say cobs. coffee and I say cobs, coffee, cobs. All right. <laughs> so number five. No, but wait, 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 wait. I'm not done with that. Did I answer your question in terms you know of what? carbs and fat? I feel like I went off on a tangent. There. You did go off on a tangent. So let me answer my own question. <laughs> Carbs and fat you want to do based off of preference to okay, make it. So I did answer your question. Make that's it what I said. Easier for yourself. Right. Well, that's what I said. And then no, that's what I said off on a tangent. Anyway, you want to make it easy on yourself. <laughs> so if you're somebody that has a hard time and struggles to get more carbs in and you just naturally go over on your fat. Right. Then maybe you want to opt towards eating more fat. Nobody cares. It's fine. Account for your protein. Right. Eat the required amount of protein. Well, that's what I was saying. And then be flexible. Outside with of that, just just allow yourself to split the difference however you naturally would split it and it would make it easier on you. Right. A lot of my clients, some some clients have a harder time digesting fat versus carbs and vice versa. So it can also be a digestive issue as well. Not issue, well, but and that's something that we want to consider in the you know. plan in the program as well is are you having some type of digestive issue, microbiome right. issue, right? All types of issues that, you know, you may be experiencing absorption issues. Do you need digestive enzymes, right? 
that, yeah, that's that's a whole nother. No, I'm just I agree. I'm just saying for some women that, that eat that I do prescribe a higher carbohydrate amount versus fat, like if we set it that way, they feel sluggish and tired after they eat them, even good quality carbohydrates. So it depends on the person. And then I can, you know, switch the dial. Absolutely. All right, go on. I'm sorry. Just want to make sure I got that in. You ready in for my, number five? Number five, halfway. Training abs will give you abs. Oh my God, this is one of my favorites. Nicole's excited about this one. I'm excited about this because I hear it all the time. Can you just give me an ab workout? Literally, can you just give right. me an ab workout? Like your abs don't work when you squat, deadlift, bench press. It's not even that. Movement it's not, pattern. It's not, it's not even that. Working the muscle is not going to reduce the fat in that area. Let me debunk this right now. All right, go ahead. This is called spot reduction. Yes, which you cannot do. Your body does not burn fat from the area that you're training. Fat storage and the ability to lose fat in a certain area is largely genetic and out of your control, right? So if you want to lose body fat, stay in a calorie deficit and consume nutrient-dense foods that will keep you satiated, do some resistance training and be conscious about your NEAT, which is your we talk about this all the time. Mm-hmm. Non-exercise activity thermogenesis or in layman's term, get your steps in. Yeah. Your body will typically, it's going to store fat where it's convenient for it to store fat. That could be in your arms. That could be in your legs, your butt, your thighs. That could be in your midsection. For men, it's generally more in the midsection. For women, it's more in the generally more in the hips, hips and thighs. And then after menopause, it's switches over to because of the changes in estrogen it switches over to more of your midsection for women your body is going to choose where it wants to store it and the unfortunate part to that is generally where your body likes to store it your body doesn't really like to take it away from right it's the last place to come off to right so just stay on course like oh man i'm losing weight but why am i not losing my belly fat Mm -hmm. just continue to stay on course with your plan And that will eventually come too. Yeah. You're not going to lose body fat in your abs by training your abs. No, but you also, so I have two things to say about this is a big one for me because this is a huge topic with all my clients. One is you have to focus on movement patterns to build your core. Forget about the abs, your core, your core from your shoulders to your hips, maybe mid thigh even like shoulders to knees, we'll say. So everything in the midsection is counts as core. You have to be able to move in all the different directions or all the different movement patterns and be strong in each of those to build a strong core. Core has stability, core has strength, core has power. So you have to be able to utilize all of those within a workout program. So if you're just isolating your abs and crunching, and then you go to stand up and throw a medicine ball, two totally different things. And neither one of those individually is going to give you abs, quote unquote abs. Right. The second piece to that is too many women, because I work with mostly women, but too many women think that if they are skinnier and leaner, that they will see more abs. And what they fail to understand is that when you build muscle, even in your core, you may not necessarily need to be thinner and lighter in weight and lower in body fat. You actually just may need to be patient enough to build some muscle mass up in your core, your shoulders, your back, your like the abdominal areas where everybody thinks core, but also your back, your booty and your inner thighs. Core development and gaining abs isn't just about a six pack. 
well so that's like a the um right like you know the 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 woman who's like let's say we'll call it 15 16 percent body fat and is like right. i'm not toned I've got enough ripped abs i'm but no 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 but they i'm don't. not i'm not toned enough forget oh, that yeah, right yeah. right i'm still yes. not toned and it's like well because you need to build muscle to have yeah some you have no muscle. abdominal muscle exactly and so what they think is now they have instead of thinking i have to maybe put on a little bit of body fat and build some muscle, go into a build phase and then go back and cut back down to see more muscle development after they build muscle. No, they, they think, think they need to lose more. I now have to go down to 13% body fat to see that, which is so ridiculous. And it then they lose happen. their menstrual cycle and then they, right. they fuck and they still up. don't see their abs and they're thoroughly disappointed. So my point is every female has a number in their mind in terms of body fat that they think will get them to see abs. And little do they realize it's probably much, higher body fat with a lot more muscle development that they need to build up to not scale down to to see that definition and men too i'll put them yeah yeah i mean look i don't know this is a hot topic for me because (laughs) literally every day on instagram i get dms what type of abs do you do what type of program can you give to me can i do abs every single day that's another question i get all the time I'm like, hey, well. listen, just sell them a six minute ad program and we'll be rich. I'd be rich, right? I could just do the exactly. Trust me. There, there are times where I'm tempted to just be like, do this every day. But I That's can't. I'm too walk, good. I'm too, I can't ass, do it. Walk your ass to the bank with all that money. Yeah, no. For all of us, for all of our listeners out there, I can't do it. You need to train correctly and build muscle. And then, of course, the nutrition piece has to be there. But the old saying abs are made in the kitchen is only one piece too. it's a very small piece to it actually but they're not they're certainly not just made rolling around on the gym floor no they're not made doing doing um like hanging leg raises and crunches and oblique crunches i mean i put these poor women that are doing like five thousand of them a day <laughs> i still can't see my abs i don't know why they're not there i'm like yeah you're you may be strong strong from doing those things which is amazing but all right, so Nicole feels very strongly about building muscle. You, yeah. Listen, I'm a trainer. What are you gonna do? I'm good. No. Go on. Number six, detox works. Oh Lord. I don't even know where to start. On I this know. One. I think this one came <laughs> heavy. This came heavy from Instagram, and it comes heavy from those. It comes from it products. Comes, well, it comes from those multi-level marketing companies. Yeah. That sell crappy products and claim that they do something. So they just dehydrate. Let's define, let's define what a detox. detox. All right, go ahead. Detox diets typically consist of plant-based juices, sometimes mixed with herbs and spices, right? So like, Mm -hmm. what is it? Like lemon juice with cayenne pepper and, you know, shit like that. Yeah, that's now a 2009 investigation of 10 companies found they couldn't name a single toxin eliminated by any of their 15 (laughs) products. Now let's define what a toxin is. Okay. Toxins are plant or animal-based substances harmful to humans. Many people also will mention heavy metals, preservatives from your foods, pesticides, Mm -hmm. synthetic Mm -hmm. cleaning products, right? Ingredients from that when they refer to toxins. Now, let me explain something. You have a liver, you have kidneys, you have lungs, you have a digestive system, you poop stuff out, toxins Mm -hmm. come out of there as well, Mm -hmm. and you have skin Mm -hmm. and you sweat. All of those organs in your body, because your skin is an organ too, they all work to remove toxins from the body. And now, in order to do this, your body has to be nourished because these organs require certain nutrients Mm -hmm. to be able to detoxify your body. 
Now, when you're doing a quote unquote detox, typically you're restricting yourself. Right. And you're restricting or hindering your body's ability to remove harmful toxins. So you're actually you're, you're actually just doing the opposite of what your right. intention is. Is there weight loss that comes from doing a detox? Typically, yes, but that's usually associated with the fact that you're Water. barely eating anything. Mm -hmm. You're not eating a ton of food. You're not eating a ton of carbohydrates. So there's a loss in glycogen, which is your your liver and and your muscles storage of carbohydrates. You lose glycogen and this draws out water from the body because for every one molecule of glycogen that you have stored, mm -hmm. your body will also, in addition to that, store three molecules of water. So those three molecules are coming out for every gram of glycogen that you're losing. Mm -hmm. And once you stop doing this and you start eating and you resume your normal diet, you gain it all back you're going to gain that weight back. It's not helpful. You're not helping your body out by doing this. You need to nourish your body in order for it to detoxify. There on is its no own. detox product in existence that actually does anything for you. You just made such a good point. You need to nourish your body in order for it to naturally be able to perform what it's supposed to do. And instead, we're sending the message with detoxification programs that put them in the opposite state which then just perpetuates the frustration for most people when they don't get what they want out of that detox program. Or they may feel better for a couple of days and feel lighter or whatever. And then they gain it all back when they go back. They don't feel better. Life. They feel hungry. They feel like they shit. do. Well, no, but listen, I've had so many women do like I did a juice cleanse for three days and this and that. And I always let them. I'm like, go ahead, do your thing. Let's learn from it find what worked, find what didn't work, which we already know the answers to. But I feel like they have to go through it to experience that it isn't the way to go in order for me to then educate them on the other end of the spectrum and what we need to, to focus on. So, you know, my clients have definitely come to me being like, I'm just going to drink water for the next three days and cleanse. All right. You're going to really hate that, but go for it. <laughs> yeah, we'll Lemon follow juice. up. We'll follow up on Whatever. that. We'll see how you're feeling. Yeah. And they always come back feeling horrible. They can't do their workouts, whatever. And then I go in for the kill and go, OK, let's start feeding that body now. Well, that's like the conversation you and I had <laughs> years ago when yeah. you're like, you're like, what do I do when my clients just want to do this and whatever they want? And I'm like, let them do it and yeah. let them fall on their face. And then you're like, all right, cool. Like now let's do this. Are you ready? Way. Yeah, now let's do it my way. Yeah. We tried your way. Yeah. Right. And just allowing them that flexibility sometimes yeah. is like. All right. Well, opening. At, at least my coach listens to me and allows me yeah. to try things. Right. And then when I fall on my face, I get back up and I'm like, all right, I'm ready to do it your way. Yeah, you're right. Because I used to be like some of I, I wasn't always that flexible. I, people would come to me and be like, I want to detox. And I would be like, OK, we're going to waste an entire week of coaching for you to do this and then have to get back on track. And I always felt like that was so silly. Right. I'm but like, it's Ugh. never it's never. A but waste it wasn't. If your client learned something from it, yes. it's never a waste of time. That is definitely something. Big Cito here taught me, let them do it and then they'll listen. The big seat. I got you covered. I know. I feel you. All right. So moving forward, number seven. Okay. Too much protein is bad for you. I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> I don't, I don't remember the number that it, that it was. There were some studies that I saw a while ago that it was like three, 400 grams of protein a day and it showed no damage to a healthy body. Right. So we're talking healthy individuals here. Now, Protein. Also, eating. can we also talk about the size of the person? Well, everybody needs a different amount of protein, right? right. So again, what's too much? But, 
I mean, think about it. Cricket, you eat too much crickets. protein for me versus too much protein for you. Daron and I are clearly two what very is different but, bodies. But here's the here's the big question: is what what effect is that going to have on your body aside from my my professors used to say this in college when I was an undergrad? They said bodybuilders have expensive urine because they <laughs> yeah. they because they, they spend a ton of money on protein and they pee a lot pee of it out. out because they pee out nitrogen. Right when you mm-hmm. see high nitrogen uh, concentration in the urine. That's typically a measure of, right. hey, you're eating too much protein because you're peeing some of it out. But outside of that, your body's filtering it out. There's no damage involved, right? Mm-hmm. The only times that protein is going to be bad for, let's say, your kidneys, which we'll get into, the only time it's going to be bad is if you have, if you're in a certain stage of renal disease. Now, this is going back to college where I don't really remember how much protein is is. Uh, recommended in each stage, but it changes from stage to stage. Yes. As they progress. Right. Depending on where, where you are. So that's really where you want to look out for it, but normal, healthy functioning kidneys, it's not bad. So I'll just jump into uh, kidneys and why it's been kind of proposed that it could potentially be bad for your kidneys. Mm -hmm. So there are studies that determine that high protein diets increase GFR, which is a marker of waste filtration in the kidneys. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was argued that increased GFR was a sign that undue stress was put on the kidneys. But later research has shown that kidney damage does not occur as a result of diets high in protein. Mm -hmm. So the conclusion is when we look at randomized control trials thus far from what we have, there are aren't studies that show that high protein diets are harmful to your kidneys. I mean, we're talking a lot of protein. We're talking high protein diets, like in the three, 400 grams of protein, which is more than anybody. No, forget it. It's more than anybody needs to eat period. So wait, go, hold on. You're saying that for someone of your size or some, some, for someone that weighs someone of any size, hundred pounds, someone of any size can probably get away with eating three, three to 400 grams of protein. They're not going to use all that protein and they'll be in a calorie surplus. Right. right. But, but they can, from a, from a kidney standpoint, it's not going to damage them. It's not going to damage your kidneys. So protein okay. is not bad for your kidneys. The other thing that has been proposed in the research with protein is that it's bad for your bones. So more protein in the diet in some research has been linked to more calcium in the urine. Mm -hmm. There are two reasons that have been suggested to explain what's happening here, right? So number one is your body draws from its calcium stores in the bones to buffer the acid load caused by dietary protein because protein is acidic. This initially led researchers to suggest that higher protein intake could cause greater bone loss. Most studies that look at protein intake and calcium excretion, this is an issue with this, is that they list dairy products as a protein source. So higher urinary calcium could simply be the result of higher calcium intake by consuming these dairy products that are very high in calcium. Yeah. Right. Therefore, looking at only calcium excretion, it's not enough. Uh, There have been subsequent studies that showed that dietary protein promotes dietary calcium absorption and that higher protein intake promotes bone growth and retards bone loss. So it will actually prevent your bone loss and and promote uh, growth of new bone tissue. A lower protein diet has been associated with a higher risk of hip fractures, which would lead us to believe that if you're consuming low protein, 
listen, I mean, we all we talk about all the time with building lean muscle tissue right. supports healthy bones, right? right? So resistance training and building muscle say- and consuming protein. Obviously, mm-hmm. it makes sense that you would want to consume more protein, not less protein. I mean, this is why we talk so much about a food plan and your workout strategies. It's so hard to isolate one versus the other. If you're talking about nutrition, but you're not incorporating the type of exercise that you do, I feel like that's not a complete, it's just not complete. And then the other way around, if you're talking about exercising, but then you don't talk about the food that you're eating, that's not complete lifestyle. I obviously come from a a very strong stance on, you have to have both present. Well, you need a well-balanced plan. Yeah. Do we have anything else we want to say about that? I was just going to say, I think putting everything into practice is so important. Like, obviously, I'm a huge science geek and I love all the studies and all of the research, but you also have to put it into practice. Like, just don't worry just about protein. Stop just worrying about it. and Eat more protein. Eat. <laughs> well, the benefits of protein for your body. Like The, the benefits, the benefits of protein are, are going to outweigh. They're going to outweigh any kind of negative consequence of eating protein. And here's the thing. It's people aren't very rarely. I I can honestly count on one hand the amount of clients that have come into my office, both from strength and conditioning and then nutrition that I say, wow, you are eating way too much protein. That has never crossed my lips. It's always you're not eating enough. And they're so lowballing their protein that where I'm constantly trying to get them to eat more and not more under these circumstances, like so much more. Just and enough. Listen, if I tell you to eat your body weight in protein, and there are studies that show that you can get away with eating five times that and not not have any adverse effects, you're good. Don't worry yeah. about it. Yeah. I say this all the time. Four ounces of chicken, what, 26, 27 grams of protein? I'm like... Something like that. Something like that. Eat three four-ounce pieces of chicken. Try and eat that in one sitting for a female under 180 pounds. I bet I can do that. I said a female under 180 pounds. That does not mean you. I identify as a 100 pound female. Okay. So I take offense <laughs> to that. <laughs> well, then you're unique, my dear. But if I ask them to eat three jelly donuts in a heartbeat, can take that down without even thinking about it. Yeah. But the protein's worse for you than the donuts, right? Well, that, that's my point, right? But then carbs are bad too. But then there's also fat so in donuts. Then you, so... And you also can't eat it after 8 p.m. So fuck it all. So you can't do anything. Just... You can't. <laughs> <laughs> you you just chew on some ice cubes, but then, yeah. but then the fluoride in the water and oh yeah. my God, you're, screwed. oh my God, you, and you can't, then you can't detox because you can't even drink the water. Yeah, that's it. It's over. You know what? Just quit while you're ahead. Yeah. All right. Don't even, don't even eat bother. Mm. Moving along. What number are we on? Number eight. I think we're on number eight. Yep. We're on number eight. Number eight. You have to eat breakfast to boost your metabolism. And I will say that myself as a coach 10 years ago, I fell victim to telling clients that breakfast is the most important. You have to eat breakfast. So the benefits of consuming breakfast has been overhyped. Observational studies have shown that people who skip breakfast have a higher BMI. However, clinical trials have shown that personal preference is a critical factor. Some people will subconsciously compensate for all the calories they skipped at breakfast, while others won't feel cravings of the same magnitude. In one trial, women who didn't habitually eat breakfast were made to consume it, and they gained nearly two pounds over four weeks. So they had the opposite effect consuming breakfast. 
Studies in both lean and overweight individuals have shown that skipping breakfast does not inherently slow your resting metabolic rate. And we can use intermittent fasting as a example of skipping breakfast and people who lose body fat, because there are many people out there that do intermittently fast. They don't eat breakfast. Maybe they have their first meal at noon, maybe at 3 p.m., and they do lose body fat. And it doesn't have a negative impact on their resting metabolic rate. So consuming breakfast isn't going to boost your metabolism to a point where, listen, if you want to eat breakfast in the morning, go ahead and do it. I'm a breakfast person. I know many people that don't like to eat breakfast and they like to eat later on in the day. Just do whatever works for you. As long as you're within your calorie intake for the day and you're in a deficit, you'll be fine. Going back to your schedule and what time you wake up and what time you go to work, what time in the morning you work out or any of your scheduled day will depend on when you eat your first meal. Breakfast, everybody fucking eats breakfast. It's called breakfast. Breaks your fast, right? It's the first meal of the day. Breakfast doesn't have to be between 7 a.m. and noontime for it to be breakfast. That's why we also have something called brunch. Everybody gets so caught up in whether you eat breakfast or not and whether it speeds up your metabolism, all the ridiculousness. Everybody eats the first meal of the day. You, everybody, whatever time it's at, that's your breakfast. So if you eat breakfast at 6 a.m. and I eat breakfast at 8 a.m. and one of my other clients doesn't get to work till 11 and eats breakfast at 11 a.m., we're all eating goddamn breakfast. It's just at a different time, people. So I don't understand this one at all. Well, contextually breakfast, I guess. It's the first meal of the day. That's it. That's all it is. Nicole's mad at this one. I because I can't stand when people put all this ridiculousness like it's almost so overthought that it, it it's so stupid. Everything in nutrition is over. It's so overthought like, oh, my God, you should not fasted cardio versus unfasted cardio. What time do you get up in the morning? That's the first question I ask clients. If you're up at 5 a.m. and you're going to wait till noontime to eat your first meal, which we call breakfast. OK, or if I get up at five in the morning and I. I choose to eat my first meal at 7 a.m. Both are okay. But maybe I get home at 2 p.m. and I fall asleep by 6 p.m., which is pretty much my schedule. <laughs> but it depends on the schedule. It's the yeah. first meal of the day. That's what breakfast Just, is. And, and Who your cares rant when right it there. happens? And your rant right there. No, I could keep going. If you all have listeners, if you have questions, DM me because I could talk about this all day long. Right, I'm, I'm done. Boss Blasi. Number nine, high fructose corn syrup. <laughs> Is worse than sugar. Now, let me get into okay. this. Go ahead. I'll shut up. Early evidence led to the belief that high fructose corn syrup or fructose in general could cause fatty liver disease as well as insulin resistance and obesity. By extension, high fructose corn syrup is frequently said to be unhealthy because it is high in fructose. The reality is there isn't always more fructose in high fructose corn syrup than there is in regular sugar like table sugar. Table sugar is approximately 50-50 fructose and glucose. Table sugar is sucrose, which is half fructose and half glucose. Fruit sugar, also about the same ratio. And high fructose corn syrup is also about the same ratio. You see, the thing that drives me nuts about this one is that your body knows monosaccharides, disaccharides, polysaccharides, starches, right? That's what your body knows and your body knows how to treat them and how to break them down. So unless we're talking about 
a huge significant difference in the fructose concentration in quote unquote high fructose corn syrup. High fructose corn syrup is just high fructose because it's higher fructose than Dan. Yeah. yeah, right. It's made to be higher fructose than it when it originated. So the thought that high fructose corn syrup is worse than any other sugar, right? If we're taking something that is roughly 50 50 fructose and sucrose and it's bound together by a single bond mm -hmm. and then we're taking something else that is pretty much the same molecule your body's still going to break it down it's going to use the same enzymatic process to break it down and it's going to utilize it however it sees fit from a health perspective high fructose corn syrup and table sugar that you would put in your coffee which is sucrose is going to be pretty much the same high fructose corn syrup may sometimes contain a little bit more fructose, but you're talking about like 8% difference, which is negligible. So just want to finish that off by saying high fructose corn syrup and sugar is going to pretty much have the same effect on your body. Unless you're eating incredible amounts of it. This is a portion thing. That's yep. all this comes down to. Yep. If you're eating, what's an example of high fructose corn sugar product? I, I mean, any kind of like processed sweet that you buy. Like a ho-ho. Or uh, I mean, I mean, Coke, like a, like a, <laughs> or soda, a soda. Yeah. A soda. Okay. Fine. If you're drinking that seven times a day, you got a problem. If you have one of those a week, not so bad. Just right? manage your added sugar intake. It's yeah. It's all about, it goes right back to calorie. The your body doesn't of, care where it comes yeah. from. And your body doesn't even know that it's, that your body doesn't even know that it's called high fructose corn syrup. So, right. you know, there's really but, not but here's the thing though here. we do have to talk about the amount of it we, we clients are i have clients that have come to me drinking seven diet sodas a day or seven sodas a day or drinking or excuse me having like ho-hos ring dings twinkies which are all the type of like sugary stuff i grew up on and they're eating three of those after dinner i mean they're we have to talk about that fact that that is not the way a healthy who, life who still eats twinkies like. Oh, I had a client not recently, this you know, probably I, two years ago. She used to eat. She used to have she had kids. And I don't know why, but there's a quote unquote healthy Twinkies. It's ridiculous. It's so is funny. That a thing? It is. They did have them. They were I don't know what they were made, who they were made by, but they were a quote unquote less sugar Twinkie. Um, they, and she brought me one to try. And I was like, first of all, it was disgusting. I'd take a regular Twinkie if I was going to eat it. Um, and just have it as a one-time thing or once in a while thing, which they were eating. Like she was having like tweaking it, a two Twinkies and ice, a scoop of ice cream for dessert every single night of the week, her and her kids. I was like, Oh no, 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 no. You know, I will say, <laughs> I will say about Twinkies the last time that I competed, you know, when you compete and you know, you're, you're in kind of bodybuilding mode, you're hyper-focused, you're eating all, you know, good, nutrient dense foods you're eating in a big deficit towards the end mm -hmm. and you really start to crave things oh yeah and so a lot of competitors will do this thing where they either write it down or they'll create a mental note i would create a mental note of like all the all foods the that i was craving yeah. that i was going to have after i competed now disclaimer that is not a healthy thought process around food no <laughs> or, and weight loss and fat loss but it's just something that we did as part of bodybuilding culture people now, still do it now I was craving Twinkies the entire time I prepped and I didn't eat a single Twinkie in 20 weeks of prep. And yeah, but how many did you night, eat the next the, day? <laughs> so I bought so I bought a box that I 
ate the entire box between Ugh. the night after my show and the next day. And I was like, I I don't a I don't even like these, but I ate the whole box anyway. And yeah. B, I feel awful. awful. I know. Well, this is the thing. One of the things that I remember from show, my coach, who's absolutely amazing, one of my favorite people in the world, still very good friends with him to this day. He had these things called car packs, so graham crackers with chocolate, peanut butter and jelly. And we would pack them up for the day of the show to have as kind of like a sugary burst. Well, you're also glycogen. Getting on, yeah, getting on stage. Let me tell you, I would be like, he told me I could have half of one like before I went on stage and I was like in the corner licking my fingers and like licking the saran wrap. Oh, so delicious. And you have I, uh, I have dreams about those still. You have tanning spray all over your hands and you. Oh, it, it doesn't matter. Hands. Yeah, it didn't even matter. There wasn't a fork or spoon present. It was literally right out the pack. And I still have pictures on my Instagram from those. It was fun. Sorry, not healthy, but definitely fun. Let's move along to the last one. Okay, last number but not 10. least, number 10. Myth number 10 is that fasted cardio helps you burn more fat than fed state cardio. Now, mm -hmm. the theory goes like this. A prolonged absence of food brings about a reduction in circulating blood sugar causing. And I used to be I used to think this way, too. So when your glycogen levels fall and you don't have enough glycogen, that leaves your body no choice but to rely on fat. Fat rather than glucose to fuel your workouts. Mm -hmm. Research has shown no significant changes in body composition when comparing fasted, fasted state cardio to fed state cardio. Mm -hmm. My kind of thing for our audience here is do what works best for you and feels best for you. Yeah. Uh, there is some research out there that suggests that eating before exercise actually promotes a substantial increase in post-exercise oxygen consumption which essentially is your body's ability to burn fuel for a longer period of time. Yep. So that will actually promote you burning more calories after your workout has stopped, after that cardio workout has stopped. Mm -hmm. So there is some research leaning more towards eating beforehand. And what I will say is making sure that you're not in a catabolic state and breaking down muscle tissue is important in terms of having protein before. I prefer having some kind of a protein at the very least before doing cardio, but also working in the working out doing fasted cardio has been kind of shown to increase muscle protein synthesis even further after doing it. So I would say it kind of all balances itself out whether or not you want to do cardio fasted or fed. It's your choice, but it's going to be irrelevant in terms of your progress. Yeah, I, I don't think it has any difference in terms of progress, but I do think it has a difference in terms of the person being able to actually get through the cardio and how you feel. I am not someone that can go fasted. I have to have something before. It doesn't have to be a, a full meal, but I have to have something small. And I've been testing my blood sugar early in the morning and throughout the day, which I've been posting on Instagram as well. My blood sugar levels are amazing in the morning as long as I have um, amazing in the morning just naturally. But I mean... If I have something small before I work out, I actually have a better workout and I burn more calories than if I do it fasted. I've tested both. All right. So there you go. Eat but that's just me. I'm just cardio. saying, yeah, some listen. clients can't work out with food in their belly either. 
You know what and, I'm saying? Yeah, like they yeah. feel nauseous. Yeah. Well, so for those like early risers, like I've told people, yeah. like, you know, if you work out at 5 a.m., 6 a.m. and you yeah. don't have time and you're rushing out the door and it, it's you not like you feel can nauseous. Right. Yeah. Just don't have something. That's an instance where I'm like, all right, cool. Go do your fed state cardio. Generally speaking, I recommend doing not doing things um, uh, fasted. Yeah. But, you know, there are instances where I'm like, all right, whatever. It's If that's what you can adhere to better than anything else, then yeah. Do it. If you feel um, good. My thing is, for, if you feel good. For some people, though, I might argue that being fasted and doing cardio in the morning fasted might lead you to make bad decisions after Throughout that the day. workout because yeah. you're like, you Hangry. know, you're, you're, yeah, exactly. So it really depends on the person. Obviously, mm -hmm. everything depends on the person. That was it. That was 10 myths that need to die. And hopefully this helps the myths to die. And um, that's pretty much it. <laughs> they definitely need to die. We need to get more away from these kind of generalized nutrition. I don't know, strategies or theories or whatever you want to call them. Um, I wouldn't even call them theories because they have nothing to back them up. No proof. OK, then what would you call them? like nutrition myths? I don't know. But we have to get away from the generalization of them and really focus on the individual person that you're presenting these to. Every person can take these 10. If you presented it to a client and said, of the 10, which one of these may like work for you? Like, have you ever done fasted cardio? How did it work? Have you ever, you know, eaten too little or too much protein? Well, and how did you feel? Like they would all answer completely different. But here's the thing is I think that people gravitate towards these things because it just sounds like, oh, well, it's easy. I could just cut out carbs or I could just cut out fat or I can just detox or like it's more sexy than what we preach well, on a regular yeah. basis. So I think that's part of the reason why people gravitate towards them, but they really believe this stuff. Yeah. Right? And you've got influencers all over social media pushing this stuff. I, I mean, listen, it's they're not myths. Just they're myths. <laughs> we did our job. <laughs> we, we busted them we all. De we debunked them. Debunked. And that's what I got for you. OK, so ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoyed this episode, click subscribe, give us five stars, write a review, share this with a friend and you'll hear us next week. <laughs>